Patriots open up the season in Miami, and the Red Sox stumble down the stretch. I am Chris Ryan. This is the Press Pass. There's a lot of questions about this Patriots team, where they're at, how good they're going to be this year, and if they're ready for this game against the Miami Dolphins. Patriots decided to head down on Tuesday and practice in the heat down in South Florida Try to get ready for a Miami team, which looks to be good this year. I mean, they're good the last couple of years, but can they take that next step under a new head coach? That is the question, but they have a diversity of attack on offense. They have a really good defense, a ball-hawking defense, particularly that secondary, and a big challenge for the Patriots awaits in week one. Patriots training camp, preseason, not great, but what does that mean? in the big scheme of things. We're going to find out come Sunday at 1 o'clock in Miami. I talked with Patriots head coach Bill Belichick. Morning, Bill. How are you? Chris, how's it going? Good. Looking ahead to Sunday, how do you go about trying to game plan against a first-year head coach? I mean, do you take much from the preseason, or is it more just what he's done in the past as a coordinator, the systems that you're familiar with that he's been a part of? Yeah, Yeah, that's... Uh, that's that's a sixty-four thousand dollar question on everything. Um, opening day is opening day. Nobody's really shown much in preseason. Um, the cards will be on the table on Sunday, and like every opening game, I'm sure we'll have to make some adjustments um, once we see what they're doing, um, and vice versa. That's always the way it is. So you, you have to leave room for a little bit of the unknown things they've been working on that they haven't shown or. Uh, things specifically game plan for you that you've had trouble with uh, at some point. They've had a lot of time to prepare for the game, um, several months, as have we. So there's a you know, big part of the unknown. I think all that will clear up in the first two to three weeks of the season when teams settle into their style of play that they want to bank on. Uh, but right now that's not necessarily known. And, again, league-wide, the playing time for you know a lot of the key players on every team is low so it's hard to hard to tell how some of their their players are going to be used but we know they're going to the guys are going to feature so uh, we'll have to see how it goes kind of along those lines i wanted to ask you when you're looking at a team on film or you're just kind of casually watching a game how often do you see something that is new and it jumps out at you and you say oh this is the way the game is evolving or do you feel that it's more folks going into the past and using things that you've seen before in other words is the game planning growing is it evolving or is it kind of a repetition of what's been done before uh, well if, if you're talking about the offensive side of the ball um, you know sometimes what's new is just something that that team hasn't done before it's not like new new it's just something that that you wouldn't expect or that team hasn't shown. But again, offensively, ultimately, you, know, you want to get the ball to your, your best and most explosive players. So how do you do that? Um, sometimes that comes from uh, either a new idea or again, something that that team hasn't done before, but now either they have a new player that they're trying to involve or um, they have a player that they want to try to expand the ways that he can touch the ball conventionally or unconventionally. So I think that I think it's really about, you know, each team trying to maximize the production from their their best and most explosive players um, and at the same time have 
you know, balance. I think the kind of new plays, sometimes gadget type plays, um, a lot of times come from uh, mistakes or things that happen in a practice setting that you look at it and say, well, we've never really done this before, but look at what the reaction was. Maybe we could put in a play off this, kind of like Paul Brown's version of the draw. Um, when the ball was handed off and the lineman thought it was a pass play and everybody ran right past the runner and there was the draw. So um, that's really, I, I, I think that's that's kind of how it evolves. It's it's each each team trying to find ways to be productive and and occasionally you'll run into a, a defense that you're trying to find ways to attack and, and maybe you come up with a, a new way to attack a certain thing that they're doing. But the more the defense is traditional, probably the, the less there is to create and the more it's non-traditional then then they've done things in, in maybe some kind of an aggressive way, trying to create negative plays for the offense that might leave them vulnerable uh, to some other type of play. So that's um, yeah, it's an interesting question. On Jonu Smith, what have you seen from him this offseason which indicates that he may be in a better position to have success this year? John has had a real good offseason. Uh, started in the spring. He's in real good condition. Uh, fundamentals and techniques are – are good. Um, he's a hardworking kid. He's out there every day. Smart player. Um, so he's he's off to a real good start, and we'll see how things go in the regular season. But um, but he's he's put himself in position to you know I think go out and, and play well. Also spoke with Patriots wide receiver coach and legend Troy Brown. Hey Troy, how are you? I am doing great, man. How about you? Awesome, appreciate it. So. Um, What's the anticipation like for you as a coach as compared to a player for you know, opening opening day? And what are kind of some of the differences and similarities and whether it's, you know, the jitters, excitement, whatever it may be? Uh, probably a little different because, you know, as a coach, uh, or as a player, I had control over myself and everything that I did to prepare for the game. So uh, as a coach, I'm hoping I'm getting the guys ready and not really knowing for sure. Uh, if I got them ready or not. So, you know, that's the that's the biggest difference is I have no control over. Well, I do have some control over what they do out on the football field, but what happens and some of the decision-making, you know, that's uh, that's out of my hands on that on that part of it. So, it's, so the butterflies are a little bit different, you know. Uh, I'm not going over the middle anymore, <laughs> so that type of stuff. So uh, it's a little different. So, uh, yeah, so I just, you know, I just worry about having my guys ready to go. And, and and going out there and performing well. A lot of discussion about you know the Patriots and having a, a deep threat or that one type receiver. And obviously this team has won with different types of approaches in regard to the receiving game. Is that a necessity in your view to have, you know, that one deep threat or is it able are you able to circumvent and find other ways to have success? There's two necessities uh for wide receivers to get open and catch the ball. Whatever that takes to do that, then you do it. And just the uh, the final thing on Jacoby Myers, have you what have you seen from him in regard to uh, his development? What type of a a, a preseason training camp did he have? Ah, Copes is having a, a great great training camp again. You know, he's Mister Steady. You know, so uh, uh, through it all. So and uh, leadership role has grown some more on the football team. So. Uh, He's really earned the respect of 
uh, all of the guys in the locker room offensively and defensively. So, uh, you know, so he's just a guy that, uh, you know, like I said, he's developing into, you know, uh, a good football player, but also a good leader on the football team as well. Right, Troy Brown right there. We switched to the Red Sox now as they stumble down the stretch of the season. They won five in a row going into Tampa, but got swept by the Rays in Baltimore this weekend. All is pretty much done for the Red Sox at this point. And we're also reaching the conclusion of Dennis Eckersley's broadcasting career. He's retiring from the broadcast booth and stepping away from baseball after 50 years in the game. I caught up with Eck at Fenway. Joined by Dennis Eckersley, and what do you make of this group this year? Like it's been up and down, and it's season's been over. To get a life here and there, like how, what do you make of this group? That's, that's a tough question. It really is because there's so many. There's some a lot of excuses. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Good excuses, you know. Uh, they didn't have everybody. You know, when you think about when they have everybody, um, and I'm talking about starting pitching. You know, that, they went through a time where you know they used. What thirty-five starts with young guys, you know, and uh, and the bullpen being in flex forever, right? That's part of it. Um, and the offenses, it was different. Some guys had hot and cold, right? Uh, we've seen it with Devers recently, JD, you know, he bogey on and off, you know. So the big three weren't necessarily the big three. I mean, it's just, it's just it hasn't. It's just one of those years that. They got it going, and and then they didn't. You, you can't be that hot and cold, you know. Um, it's just a strange season, and uh, there's a lot a lot of work to be done, to say the least. When you have this much talent, and you have the expectation with the payroll they have, you're going to have the type of depth. I mean, when you're experienced from teams that have had success and haven't had success, like where, where does the blame lie for this? Is it the front office? Is it the players? Does everybody get a bit of blame? How do you... How do you assess that? I think it's everything. You can't put it on one thing. Maybe they didn't. You could say now though they didn't address certain positions, you know, early on. Um, but it's it's hard. First to have, base and center. Yeah, yeah, first base and right field. Right. I mean, they and needed a right hand yeah. hitting power hit, whatever. Yeah. And the power hasn't been there. Uh, but um, how much depth do you need, right? You you think you need seven starting pitchers? You maybe need nine or ten, right? right? This is crazy, man. Yeah. And fourteen man pitching staffs, and I mean, the game has changed so much. You need so many arms. Maybe you got to have twenty guys out there. I mean, I keep thinking of Tampa. You know how they just run guys in and out. I don't know. It's not an easy thing to do. Putting a team together. It's not just about money. It's that you don't just write a check and get it done. You know, there's so much going on. Uh, I mean, I hate to be one that, you know, I'm going to sit here and, and, and pick apart what should have been. And, you know, I just think this has just been a very strange season. You, know, you look at Tampa as an example, and every year you're like, how are they beating you know, this team? Like, how are they? They're on the verge of overtaking the Yankees. You're like, how do they do it? Like, when they came in here last weekend, you're watching that roster. You're looking at the, the numbers. You're going inside. And you're like, how is this team doing this? So is that the future of baseball? As you mentioned, the the lack of familiarity when they bring up guys that do one specific yeah. thing. This guy throws a great slider. He's going to do that over and over again. Like, and there's not a familiarity. Is that where baseball is headed? Like, it seems like there's so still so many different ways to win. When in the past, you kind of looked at things. You're like, okay, this is how you do it. Like with your A's teams, like there was yeah. a formula. With the Yankees teams, in the '90s, there was a formula. I don't sense a formula now. 
I know. Well, especially when you say Tampa. I've been saying it about Tampa for 10 years. Every time they come in here, I say, how do they do it? Right. They have these middle-of-the-road players. Two, everybody's you know 250, you know, 10 home runs. 10 home runs, 50, 50 RBIs. Yeah. But athletic, and they all play the game, even though they don't run the bases right. very good this year. And big hits. Yes. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. This is not an easy business all of a sudden. You know? You don't just pay for it. But, you know, it's not just about thump. A couple of guys in the middle of the lineup. You got to you got to be one through nine. Yeah. It's a hard process to go. I mean, it is. And uh, but they've got to find a way. A lot of fans were surprised that you decided to step away after this season because you know you. It's very clear your passion for the game. It seems like you love what you you do. Was it a difficult decision for you? And do you you know start to think about what life after baseball is going to be like and and have some regret about it? Oh, I, I won't have any regrets. I mean, I, I've been, you know, I've been reflecting every day. You know, I really do, especially the last, you know, last year. I've really been thinking about it, and it's a no-brainer with the grandkids being out in California. That's number one. But as far as you know, it, I'm sad about it. You know what I mean? Because I do have passion for this game. I love this game, man. It's been around a long time. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. I, I I could get emotional about it in a heartbeat. But it's the right thing to do. You know, I'm going to be 68 years old. I signed in 1972. I mean, that's 50 years. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's more to life than baseball. You know what I mean, but I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I'm obsessed with this game. So it's going to be hard. Yeah, it's going to be hard. I'll figure it out. There's been not really any criticism of you by fans. Fans love you. But a lot of players, whether it's the Pirates in the last series or you know, David Price, they feel like there's some sort of a line. It appears that like you don't criticize former former players. Um, how have you kind of dealt with with some of that? Because it fe- it seems like you say things that are honest, and at times like there's kind of this almost dishonesty that is expected to between right. players. Like you don't say something honest about a player or a team, even if you're sitting in the dugout with your with the guys or sitting down the bullpen. You would say the exact same thing. Right. Well, you got to be careful, but then at the same time, I mean, it's. I just say what I think, and you get in trouble sometimes when you say what you think. Now, everything that I've said, um, have I, you know, wished I'd had or hadn't? You know, everybody says things that maybe they shouldn't have. You know, you, 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 but at the same time, that's once you get your foot out of the dugout, that's the job that you have to do. And I think I do it as well as I can, and I and I go by my gut feeling about you know what I do, and uh, you know I go for it, man. I mean, I tell you what I think. And uh, probably um, a lot of players don't like it. But, you know, I, I just recently heard something about a fraternity or something. I mean, I don't know about that, you know. I'm just doing my job. And um, don't, I don't look back, you know. I mean, you can't try to – if you try to be pleased the players, then you won't do your job. And um, that's the only thing I can say about it. Yeah, the final thing on that, you know, as as you mentioned, like there is a fraternity or whatever that, um, and players feel like they shouldn't be you know criticized by you know one of their own. Um, it is was that like prevalent back when when you were playing, or was the or was the more is there more rabbit ears today than perhaps there were you know in the past where players may be looking for motivation and something a broadcaster says, particularly Hall of Famers, like oh okay this is this is a way for me to win you know over my teammates or to show who I am. I don't know what they're thinking, you know, as far as that's concerned. I um um I don't know. 
Um, right. So do, do you feel that basically players are more like oh, okay, sensitive? No, I, was say, I, was trying right. to, I, I was sensitive. We're all sensitive. And when I played, I was sensitive. So I understand. But, you know, that's just the way it is. I mean, it's part of the game, you know, and I've been buried for whatever I've done on the field, too. And I understand that. But uh, at the same time, I understand the players, too. I get it. But it is what it is. Final thing, like through your career and now, like the thing people seem to like the most about is you're real, right? And you accept a responsibility when things didn't go well. You celebrated like a madman when they when they did. Like so, how do you see yourself as a you know, a, play, a former player and broadcaster as you kind of move into this next phase of your life? How do you when fans are talking about Dennis Eckersley? What do you want them to say? I want them to know that I was passionate and I, I loved the game. And, uh, and I brought it. I brought it, you know, because I care. And um, that's what I want to be remembered for, that passion, you know, that passion on the field, off the field, and in life in general uh, that I cared I mean, more than anything else. Sweet. Appreciate yeah. you. Bye. Red Sox prospect Tristan Cassis played his first game at Fenway Park this past weekend. Hit his first home run in Tampa. Struggled a little bit with the bat so far, but there's going to be some acclimation taking place for the 22-year-old. I talked with him at Fenway. You mentioned having some nerves and being a little antsy, but all the guys have talked about, Trevor just talked about how chill you appeared to be today. So is it, were you as calm as, you know, you, you appeared to be, kind of hanging out in the outfield and everything? Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I was definitely nervous. Uh, you know, this is everything I've, I've ever dreamed of, uh, all culminating into one day and, um, Throughout all that, I felt prepared. I was confident. Uh, I've been working for this for a long, really long time, so uh, I wasn't nervous. Uh, I mean, I was nervous, but I wasn't uh, too scared. I, I felt like uh, I was ready for the moment, and uh, I tried my best, and I, uh, you know, did did what I could, and we got the win. Alex talked about the intangibles that you have, and kind of the love of the game. How important is that side of, of baseball to you, outside of obviously offensive production? Yeah, definitely. You got to have a little bit of love for the game to uh, be able to stick it out for 150 plus. So, uh, plus spring training, plus playoffs. So, um, you know, there's a little, little something deeper than you know just going out and trying to do a job. You know, there's got to be a, a little, a little uh, love for the game. So, I think that's where that comes from. But yeah, I think uh, just playing to the strategy of the game is is what I do. Um, I, every situation, every at bat's a little different, and uh, I just try to do what the game calls for. It, it's uh, it's all up there on the scoreboard. Just trying to execute it is is my uh, my approach. Red Sox starter today in Baltimore is Michael Waka, and how good has he been for the Red Sox this season? Ten and one of the two point five eight. ERA. He's a free agent going into the offseason. Well, the Red Sox starter Michael Walken. Obviously, your 15 season back in St. Louis was phenomenal. Um, but do you feel like this season perhaps is the best you've, you've thrown the baseball? Uh, I don't know. I don't really like to evaluate really too much in the middle of the season. And so that's kind of something I'll do at the end of the season type of deal. But uh, I feel like the ball's been coming out well this year whenever I've been out there. And feeling good and so uh hopefully keep that rolling here through the through the last month what are the biggest things that are you know, different about you compared to you know then early on in your career how have you evolved as as a pitcher uh you know i think just continually learning and uh continuing just building that feel for pitches and being able to throw them in any count and i feel like uh you know the feel for the pitches the consistency of the pitches are are there this year and uh you know i've been able to throw them for strikes anytime i want and uh been able to 
you know, kind of put it where I want it to for the most part, uh, most of the time. And so, uh, you know, just over the years, just continue to build that feel uh, for those pitches. I think it'd be the key. How important is the the four seam? And everybody you know, talks about obviously your changeup, which is phenomenal. But the, your ability to locate the the four seam this year that seems to be as as important perhaps as your the ability to throw the changeup and have that feel of the changeup. Is that fair? Yeah, most definitely. I feel like uh, my stuff kind of just plays off my four seam fastball. Um, you know, whenever I'm locating it, I feel like the play the other pitches kind of play off of it really well to tunnel well together and, uh, you know, can keep them off balance. And so, uh, yeah, being able to stick that heater wherever I want, whenever I want, uh, is big for me. One of the really cool things about baseball this year is there's more interviews and access, it seems, with players that has been you know, in the past. And you were on you know, Nesson um, this past weekend, and you are talking about your change-up grip and showing the change-up grip. How much do you think it helps the game for fans to have you know, a better understanding of what the pitcher is doing? Because that's basically what you're watching like most of the time. Like, what's the pitcher going to do next? And kind of thinking along with you. So do you feel that's kind of integral to, to, the, to growing the game, is having a little more insight into what the pitcher's thinking? Uh, yeah, I think it brings another aspect to the fans. Um, you know, kind of just kind of what we're thinking out there on the mound and stuff. Um, yeah, I think, it, I think it's definitely good for the game. When you, you were talking about your change-up grip and the different uh, change-up grips you use, and you mentioned you know, the feel, what do, you, what do you mean when you say Like how it just the confidence you get fr- from the grip or you know, how you're gripping it in certain spots to get a little more dip in a different area? Right. It's, uh, it's kind of feel for like the release point on it and being able to manipulate it kind of how you want it and uh, depending on what you need for that certain pitch. And so, uh, yeah, I think just figuring out that release point over the years and, uh, you know, continually throwing it and, yeah, I guess gaining that feel, I guess, word for that pitch. And, uh, yeah, I would say it kind of directly uh, impacts that release point, I would say, is, is the main key. Do ballparks play any sort of a you know mental role in how a pitcher goes about doing things? Like you look at this ballpark and it's as quirky as obviously any in in the big leagues, and you have that huge wall out there in in left field. And there's always a lot of discussion about this from a fan's perspective. But in terms of having conviction in your your pitches or pitching inside or outside, like does ball does ballpark play any sort of a, a role, or do you have your conviction pitches you want to throw, strength and weaknesses of hitter? And the ballpark does not play much of a factor because of how it, you know, obviously the percentages play out with where the ball goes. Uh, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, obviously this is a very quirky stadium, um, and uh, you've got a big right field, right center uh, field out there, and so uh, you know, I guess with certain hitters, you can, hey, let's just hopefully they hit it out in that area, and you know, balls go to die out there. Um, but most of the time, you know, as a pitcher, I'm pitching my strengths and not shying away from a, a certain pitch because of what ballpark I'm in in order. Because I don't want to shy away from a pitch that I know will is how I pitch and how my stuff will play off of it. And, uh, you know, so I try to normally stick to my strengths out there no matter what stadium I'm in. If you look at, say, uh, 
Saturday, and Balo in the first inning you know, throws a fastball up and into uh, Seager. He needs the ball 400 feet to center field, but that's obviously where balls go to, to die here. So it does play some sort of a role in your view, but not too, too much of a role? Right, yeah. I mean, that's one of Bayo's strengths is, you know, throwing that fastball. And so, uh, you know, it's uh, not shying away from your strengths, like I was saying. And final thing on him, um, what do you sense about what he can be? And, you know, we make a lot in the, the media and watching games about, you know, mound presence and the, the way a guy looks and so forth on the uh, the hill. And it feels like he's looked a little bit different over the last uh, couple of starts. He's thrown with more you know, conviction, obviously thrown more strikes um, as well. What have you seen from, from him in his last couple of starts? And what have you seen of his process? Yeah, no, I, I think he's grown a lot just in these, uh, you know, couple months that he's been up here, a few months that he's been up here. Um, you know, just from start to start, you see that growth in him and that wanting to learn to get better out there on the mound and just almost more comfortable out there on the mound in front of, you know, all the fans and out there uh, in a big league game and, uh, you know, just getting more confident with his stuff and in the zone. And that's why you see more strikes. And, uh, you know, I feel like he was a victim of some a lot of weak contact and some almost weak runs that he had given up early on. But, uh, you know, if he continues to keep getting that weak contact and that swing and miss, um, he's going to be really, really good for sure. You mentioned the pitch in front of the fans. That's one of the most interesting parts for me is that like a pitcher, you know, has complete control over the game. Like the ball is in your hands play is indicated by what you decide to do like what do you you know what do you make of those kind of moments and how do you feel in those instances in which you you know everyone's watching you and you are in control of the of the moment is that one of the bigger you know rushes if you will for for a pitcher is just kind of being you know in control in those moments the hitter everybody um you know is gonna react based upon what you do yeah most definitely um you know i think that's one of the big learning points is I mean you don't pitch in front of these this number of fans and this many of people on national tv uh you know in the minor leagues and college ball uh, and youth ball growing up and so it definitely takes a little bit of getting used to but you just got to remember that it's the same game that you've been playing and doesn't matter how many fans how many people are watching it's still the same 60 foot six inches to home plate and it's the same batters same distances to first and same dimensions and so it's just all about, you know, believing in yourself and getting, you know, I guess uh, immersed in that in that moment out there. Uh, you know, you versus that batter, and it's a it's a one on one for however many batters you face that day. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's a it's something that you got to get used to for sure. But uh, you know, once it is, it's that rush that you can use to to help fuel you and take you to another level in that sense. Sweet. Yeah.